We are super excited, pun intended, to welcome our newest sponsor, Supergirl. That's S-O-U-P-E-R-G-I-R-L. Supergirl is a kosher women-founded food delivery business. All of their soups are delicious, plant-based, and available for delivery throughout the U.S. except Alaska and Hawaii. Sorry to our Alaskan and Hawaiian listeners. Hopefully that will be delivered to you soon. In the meantime, those of you who want to try Supergirl, they have kindly offered our listeners a 20% discount. Just enter the code RUN20 at checkout to receive 20% off your subscription. I've been a Supergirl subscriber for a number of years. And what's really nice is that you can adjust your subscription depending on what's going on during the week. There's no obligation. You're not locked in for months or a year or anything like that. My favorite soups during the summer are the gazpachos. They are delicious, and uh, I just love their soups. They're healthy, plant-based, kosher, and it's really nice to know you're supporting a local business that ships nationwide. So give Supergirl a try. You won't regret it. And thanks so much to Supergirl for sponsoring our podcast. While we pay a lot of attention to the shoes that we wear during our runs, what we put on our feet after our runs is just as important. That's why we love UFO's recovery shoes. As a recovery product, UFO's absorb 37% more impact than traditional footwear, which helps your feet, your ankles, your hips, and lower back recover faster. So while slipping into your favorite pair of UFO's after a hard workout gives you that ooh and ah feeling, you can wear them all day long. We wear ours around the house, while working from home at our stand-up desk, or even out and about running errands. Check out the UFOs line at www.ufos.com. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How are you on this hot, steamy uh, Thursday? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Uh, you know, I I, I feel like it's a little redundant that we often start our podcast with discussions about the weather, but look, it's a running podcast and it's very relevant to our listeners. So before we dive into our other topics, why don't we take a moment to acknowledge the just insane heat and humidity that has descended upon us in the Washington DC area this week. How are you doing with it? Um, you know, I feel a different, we, we were lucky that last weekend, I think it was, we had some really nice dry weather. So I think when this happens in the summer, when it comes to the humidity, the typical humidity comes back, we're really hit hard with it. So, um, yeah, definitely felt it last weekend, had a really great long run, felt great, felt like just strong and felt good. And then the humidity came back and now it's like dragging again. And we've seen that with all our, all of our runners, we've seen that common theme this week of, gosh, I just can't like, my legs feel heavy. I can't hit my paces. I feel tired. Like that's a common, um, really a common, uh, refrain or common feeling in the, in the heat can really make you feel fatigued. So we're seeing that across the board and, um, just the same last weekend when it felt great out, everybody um, was saying that, the, um, that they felt great on their runs and they had strong runs. So um, just uh, goes to show that the effect of humidity. And, um, and, and that's why when we put it, uh, workouts in our, in our runner schedules, we put effort. So we'll say maybe 10K effort and we'll give pace as a guidance, but we always say adjust for heat and humidity. And this week, I know many times we've actually sent our runners a link to a heat, um, a, a, 
pace calculator, adjustment calculator that we've sent to them that is, you know, it's theoretical, but it gives you an idea. You can put in the temperature, the dew point, your target pace, your target effort. And um, the one I've been using, I know I think you use it too, is on Runners Connect. And, um, and it will calculate an adjusted, heat adjusted pace. Now, again, it's theoretical. So take it for what it's worth, but it just uh, gives you an example. And I know a couple of our runners have gotten back to us and said, hey, I used that calculation um, this week and it really helped me. And uh, bottom line though, is that you wanna go by effort and your body isn't gonna know the difference between the paces. If you hit a 8.30 for your tempo pace last week in a nice cooler, drier weather, and this week 8.30 feels impossible. Um, if you're hitting nine and it feels the same effort and your heart rate's getting to the same um, point or the effort's the same, it's gonna have the same uh, training effects. So um, it's hard for a lot of people to let go of that expectation of a pace or um, you know, for, for especially even easy training pace, um, but it's really important to do in the heat and humidity. Good summary. I will just add that I'm, I think I've mentioned this before. I'm personally not a huge fan of the, of the heat adjustment calculator. And here's why for me personally, I feel like it sets people up for another level of expectation. And let's say that you're someone who reacts to the heat more severely or perhaps you are 20 years older than the average person that's being used as an example for that calculator, that too can be discouraging. So I've just continued repeating the mantra to so many of our runners about the importance of just listening to your body and recognizing that you get the same benefit of an easy run or a hard workout, as you mentioned, by effort, whether you're running that workout in the heat and humidity or in the freezing cold or something in between. You are still getting those fitness gains. Uh, probably one of the worst things you could do is avoid it and not acclimate because as we've talked about on this podcast many times, acclimation is based on consecutive days that you're out there in the heat and humidity. So if you go out once a week and then do the rest of your runs on the treadmill, you're not going to acclimate and, and be able to gain those benefits. And you're just going to be starting from square one every time you go back outside once a week for your long run. So embrace the heat and recognize that everyone's feeling sluggish. And some people are just better performers in the heat and humidity. That doesn't mean they're more fit. We can't fix how our bodies react to heat and humidity. We can only expect it and recognize that it's okay to run slower than what you normally would run and you are not losing any fitness. And um, if you'll indulge me for a minute, I will give an example. Um, over the weekend, I had the very exciting opportunity to run my first race that was since November, when I ran a very tiny Thanksgiving race with many, many COVID precautions, this was a real race. It was in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, run by the Seashore Striders, which is the main racing company out there. They did an excellent job. It was called the Firecracker 5K. And um, like you, I haven't done a lot of speed work, barely any over the past year, 15 months, because uh, I kind of wanted to just maintain fitness. I started doing a little bit of speed work a few weeks ago. It wasn't pretty. And frankly, I didn't know what this race would look like for me because I've been running easy pace runs for many months um, and strength training. And uh, I was really excited when I got out there and recognized, and we talk about this all the time, that I still had that feeling when I put a bib on me, I can run faster. And I, the weather was not horrible last weekend at the beach. And so therefore I was able to run faster pace that was typical of my 5k pace and I was probably like 
20 seconds slower than what I usually do in a 5K. And I'm giving this example to say that even me, I, I've been running for years. When I got to that start line, I thought this is going to really be awful because I haven't done any speed work and I've been running really slowly in this heat and humidity. Guess what? My body doesn't know that. My body still was able to perform under stress, not in a bad way, but in an adrenaline way. And um, I give this example because I felt really good on Saturday when the weather was nice, as you described. And then um, all this week, it's been oppressive. And um, I've been slogging through my runs and sweating profusely and once again, feeling really, really tired. So uh, the other thing I just want to add is that um, with respect to running in heat and humidity, if one does feel like they can push themselves in the heat and humidity and, and, and run a pace that is not that different from um, what one would run in better conditions, just remember that your body still will take longer to recover and that recovery impacts your workouts the rest of the week. So maybe you're one of those people, it's like, it doesn't really affect me. I can run the same pace regardless of weather. It probably kind of does. If you slow it down, you'll probably feel better two days later when you have to do your next key workout and you won't be catching up and recovering longer than you need to be. So those are my two points. So um, moving on. Um, Something that we wanted to talk about briefly is just sort of before we get to the main topic of this podcast episode, which is training lessons learned from our 27 collective Boston marathons part two, is um, we just wanted to talk about getting a physical. So Lisa, how often do you get your physical? I get mine annually. And uh, my, my doctor, my physician knows that I'm a runner and make sure to run a panel of blood tests every year just to check check my levels. And, and that's something that's really important. And we talk to our runners about as well, especially when we you know start with them is remind them that at their next physical, there are a number of, um, of, of factors that they're gonna wanna check, have their, have their doctor check. Um, primarily for me, uh, my vitamin D levels, vitamin D affects calcium absorption and especially for women and especially for women as we get older, that calcium absorption is really important. And for most of the stress factors that we've seen in runners over the years, it can be attributed, um, hopefully under our watch at least, because they're not overtraining, but it can be attributed to uh, vitamin D deficiency, which affects calcium absorption and their bone health. So um, that is the number one, um, you know, the number one uh, blood test that I have run and check my vitamin D levels. And um, my doctor likes to see vitamin D, I think um, normal is over 30 units, whatever the units are is, is, is normal, I think, but my doctor likes to see over 50 for runners. So you know, considerable. And a few years ago when I went, mine was like at 29. So it was pretty low. So she put me on a, a vitamin D supplement, um, which was actually a drop, which is absorbed better by the body. And, uh, and the next time I went back for a recheck, it was good. And I, I, don't, I don't do that anymore. I just stay up on my, you know, vitamins and, um, and even, you know, a lot of us think, well, we're out in the sun a lot. We absorb vitamin D I I'm out in the sun plenty. And I just, my body must not absorb the vitamin D as efficiently as, as the, um, as a, as a supplement. So that's definitely one, one, uh, one thing you want to have checked one vital you want to have checked at your, at your annual physical. Yeah, for sure. And another vital is, uh, you want to make sure you get your iron checked, um, runners when you strike the ground, um, frequently runners do many do tend to have lower iron. And one of the symptoms of low iron levels is, um, breathlessness and just 
feeling like you're not able to catch your breath. Now, of course, that's also how we feel when we're running in the heat and humidity, but it's just something to consider. You definitely want to get your iron levels checked. And uh, particularly for women, we strongly urge um, anyone getting a physical to ask for a thyroid panel. Now, you can also get that through an endocrinologist, but that's a specialist. But that is a very common um, uh, the thyroid controls everything and it's important to get it checked. And a lot of women are walking around with um, thyroid irregularity and it does affect your running. So definitely ask to get that checked. And there are several other um, blood panel factors that one should ask a physician to check. But an electrolyte panel is another um, one. I know we've actually had runners who've had low levels of um, potassium in their blood, and that can affect you as well. So um, an electrolyte panel is another one that um, you might want to ask your doctor to run for you. Yes, absolutely. Um, bottom line is, if you haven't had a physical in a while, especially with COVID, and you are setting yourself up to run a fall goal race, now would be a really great time to get that physical and, and kind of see where you are and, and work on anything that um, you're low or deficient in. And it certainly can make a difference, not only in your overall health, most importantly, but also in your performance. So that's our little um, soapbox for the day. Get your physical. Um, real quick, for those who aren't sure how to find a primary care physician that works for you. Um, at least as you mentioned, I think it's really important to find a primary care physician or physician's assistant who is well-versed in athletes. Um, you definitely want someone who's pro runner and pro athlete and recognizes the runner lifestyle. Do you have any other um, thoughts about how to go about finding a um, general practitioner or physician's assistant? Um, no, I just think, you know, asking, just like we uh, advise our runners to kind of ask around the running community for, for any physician, you know, if you're looking for a, an orthopedist or a physical therapist or any type of physician that is familiar with runners or endurance athletes, it's always so important. Um, dietitians, that's you know, what we're going to talk about in a second as well. Um, you know, finding a dietitian whose specialty is athletes and marathon runners. Anytime you can find somebody who's got experience or um, is themselves an athlete, which is always um, helpful. Um, my doctor is actually a doctor of osteopathy, a DO, um, very similar to an MD training. Um, they look a little more holistically at um, your health. And uh, so, you know, I wouldn't rule out obviously looking at DOs as well. And again, it's really just, um, I like asking your local running community uh, if they've got recommendations for, for somebody. I know we see a lot in our uh, Montgomery County Roadrunners Club on our, on our listserv, people asking for, for references of you know, physicians or physical therapists. And I think that's a great place to start. Absolutely. I see a physician's assistant. I just ended up with her um, in the practice I go to and I ended up really liking her and I think she's great. And similarly, she's also a runner herself. So if anyone needs suggestions, feel free to reach out to us and we can um, provide the names of our, our physicians. But you had mentioned uh, registered dietitians. You want to talk a little bit about what we're doing after we record this podcast? Yeah, we are so excited. We have, um, so we are doing a virtual Boston Marathon training schedule calendar. So for runners who are training for Boston, who didn't need a real individual hands-on approach, we put together a group and everyone has uh, the same training schedule and they're following it on their own with weekly emails from us. And obviously the ability to check in with us, it's just not as hands-on as our one-on-one -on -one individualized coaching, but it's really great. We've got a really great uh, group of runners from all over the country. Uh, 
uh, who are training for Boston, some for their first Boston, some for their fifth, some for their eighth Boston. And it's been really fun to get to know people and, and hear their stories behind why they're running Boston and how they got to Boston. And um, tonight we are really excited to have Nancy Clark, who is a registered dietitian and really uh, literally the one who wrote the book on marathon nutrition. Um, she has written several books, but one particularly on marathon nutrition. And we had her on our podcast last year, and she really is the expert on all things marathon specific. So again, turning, she's also a certified sports dietitian. So, um, you know, registered dietitian is one, um, one qualification you want to look for when you're looking for nutrition advice, because registered dietitians in most states are regulated and they have to have education and certifications. Um, so you want a registered dietitian, but even better than that, you want a certified sports dietitian. Um, and, and she is that. And as a bonus, she lives uh, right along the Boston course, actually in Boston. So uh, we're really excited to have her tonight. We had runners submit questions ahead of time, all really great questions. Um, some that I, you know, I really am eager to hear her answers to. And so we are going to have her as a guest tonight. And we've invited, obviously, all of our Boston Marathon participants, as well as our virtual clients who are training for fall marathons tonight. Yes. And uh, speaking of which, if anyone is listening and wants to join the group, we still have spots available. The Boston Marathon is um, just about three months away. Today is July 8th. So um, in a few weeks, it would be too late to join the group, but now is not too late because we have a little over three months to train. So uh, if you're listening and you want to join the group, feel free to email us at julianlisa at runfarthereandfaster.com, or you can head over to our website at runfarthereandfaster.com and register for the program. So before we dive into our topics tonight, which is part two of our lessons learned from our collective Boston Marathon, I just want to pose a question to everyone out there. Has anyone tried to, to uh, register for the Army 10-miler? Because we were really surprised after multiple announcements from Army 10-miler, which is all very organized, a very, very well, well done race that's always been organized. Uh, registration was supposed to open yesterday at noon, and um, the website continues to say that registration for the live race is postponed. There has been no press release, nothing on the website, and we put a tweet out there, but maybe someone listening has some inside scoop. We'd love to uh, know what's going on over there and whether the permits were revoked or whether there's some sort of snafu with the race. But if anyone has any inside information about what happened to the Army 10 miler, we would love to know. So definitely uh, reach out to us and tell us if you know. And if we find anything out, we will certainly put it out there as well. So Lisa, um, let's uh, get started on part two of our lessons learned, learn from our mistakes. So why don't you go first? All right. Well, um, I think, um, well, I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to skip the first one. If you want to go back to that one, just because we were just talking about uh, nutrition and we're going to be talking about it more tonight. Um, but, you know, fueling your body for marathon training and the one common um, feedback or refrain that we get from the dietitians that we work front work with is that we as runners and particularly marathon runners are underestimate what we're consuming and our, and our nutritional needs, um, our, our, calor our caloric needs, our nutritional needs. So we may think that we're fueling well throughout the day, um, but really we're under fueling. And if you're under fueling, your body's going to start to, um, really sabotage itself. And, um, you're not going to be able to get stronger if you're under fueling. Um, and you know, summer training is, um, is, particularly during summer training, I think a lot of us don't feel hungry. You know, we finish a run, we feel um, just 
kind of nauseous. We don't want to eat. So sometimes we'll forget to eat after we run. We may not eat super well later um, during the day. Um, so, um, you know, hydrating is really important as well. And the one uh, thing that we've really been talking to our runners about recently, especially with this heat and humidity is um, supplementing with electrolytes. And um, we get a lot of runners who say, okay, yeah, like, well, I'm drinking Gatorade. Um, unless you're using Gatorade endurance formula, which is a new formula that they do use on race courses. And that's actually another quick um, pointer that I wanna bring up is whatever fall marathon you're doing, check and see what um, they're using on the course. If that's something you think you're gonna wanna use, use it in your training. And a lot of the courses are using Gatorade endurance formula, which does have more sodium and potassium, but um, those aren't the only electrolytes. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium are all, all electrolytes that you lose through your sweat. And um, a regular Gatorade, I think I calculated once, it may take like eight or 12 servings of it to get the same sodium that you would get in a um, noon or a salt stick cap or some uh, more um, focused, concentrated uh, electrolyte replacement. So look at your electrolytes, where you're getting them from, and look at the amounts and compare them. Um, because, uh, you know, like I said, if you're just drinking Gatorade, you're getting like a tenth of the amount of sodium that you really should be getting to replenish your electrolytes. I personally really like um, the salt stick. Used to take the caps, were like just a capsule, um, and you just swallow it with water. And I would, you know, I would carry in my races, I would carry it in a plastic baggie, and I would take one my routine and what we recommend to our runners is taking one the night before a race or a long run, one the morning of, and then one every hour during the run or race. Um, and that has worked well for me. I think it's worked well for you. Um, so the salt stick caps, um, it would be one per serving. I just looked recently, the salt stick fast chews, which are really easy to take. They're almost like, um, like, uh, Smarties or, you know, like, uh, whatever, sweet tarts, that type of thing. They're chewy. You can just chew them. They're really, they're actually good. And, um, but it takes four of them to equal one cap, one capsule to get the same, um, amount of sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium that you would get in one cap. So whatever you're using, um, take a look at the contents and compare them and see, you know, how much you need. Noon is a good option. Um, I don't personally like the effervescence of noon, although they now have a non effervescent, um, flavor, which is, or, whatever version, which is, I, I think, better. But also in any of the drinks, you have to realize you have to drink it all to get it. So you either put it in your bottle and have to make sure you drink it all. Um, if you're not good at drinking it all, then maybe you take a cap or a, or a fast chew. The other thing with the um, drink mixes is that if you're going to use that on race day, you have to think about logistically how you're going to do that. So if you're using noon, great. Are you going to carry some extra noon tabs and then pop them in your water bottle and fill your water bottle up on the course? Or you're going to have somebody hand off a new bottle to you. Um, you got to think about logistically how to do it. So so personally, I like the salt stick fast shoes or the caps because I can put them in a little baggie and I can pop them once an hour or the fast shoes I can do a couple per half hour, that sort of thing. But again, the, the bottom line is figure out what works for you, what you like, what you can consume, um, what you can consume logistically on a court, like on a race, on race day and, um, and start trying them now. And again, the night before the morning of, and one per hour makes a, makes a big difference and compare the um, nutritional content of each of them. That's a great point. And another point is you're not saying that Gatorade, that noon is better than Gatorade in terms of hydration. We're just talking about electrolytes. So if you're someone that really likes Gatorade and it goes down easily and you like the sugars and it, it feels good, because remember, a lot of it is what tastes okay when you're running and you have to take this, you know, in an inordinate amount of times during a race, you want to make sure you like the flavor and that it goes down easily. 
by all means, take the Gatorade on the course, but recognize that you'll need some additional electrolytes if it's not Gatorade Endurance or if you're not able to drink the full cup. And that's where the products you mentioned come in. So um, nothing wrong with using Gatorade as hydration. It's, it's a good, I mean, many athletes have used it for years and years, but just think about your own electrolyte needs and how you can supplement that because just plain Gatorade, as you mentioned, is not enough. Um, so related to that, one thing that is really important is, um, and we've said this a lot, practicing your nutrition in your training. But what's really important about that is not just on your LSD, long, slow distance run, popping a goo every, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, taking one goo on your 13 mile run. It's actually really practicing taking nutrition every 35 to 40 minutes or 30 to 35 minutes, depending on how fast you can metabolize while you're running fast. So on a longer speed workout, if you have on your schedule an eight mile total speed workout, that's a great opportunity to pop some nutrition and see how that works for you early in the morning while your body is running fast. Um, similarly, if you have a long run on the schedule with some tempo thrown in there, that is when you should be practicing your nutrition and executing the nutrition plan modified, of course, um, that you would be doing on race day. So that includes drinking what you plan to drink on race day, taking the nutrition every 30 to 40 minutes, popping the salt tabs that you just mentioned, and just making sure it all works. And it may not work, and that's okay. The whole point is practice and trial and error. And something that may have worked for you in the past, sometimes our digestive systems change as we age. So something that may have worked into your 40s, perhaps, um, especially for women, and we've talked about this before, once you hit uh, perimenopause and then menopause, your digestive system changes a little bit and you may need to experiment with some other options. So training is a great opportunity to do this. Remind your training partners to do this and anyone out there who's still um, proselytizing about fasted running, then um, you're not listening to our podcast enough because there has been multiple studies to show that it's just not an effective way to train your gut and it's not effective way to maximize your training. So practice, practice. Um, tune yeah, up races tune are up. a great opportunity. <laughs> yeah, <because laughs> Jinx. <laughs> yeah, you've got a tune up race coming up. And that's something, um, you know, a related um, tip is um, now that races are back, find a tune up race. If um, ideally for Boston, if you're training for Boston, which is, you know, uh, early mid October, if you can find a race in early September. Um, you know, it's hard to find August races that are hot. There aren't usually even in a normal year, many August races, but I know here in our area, we have the Leesburg 20K at the end of August. Um, we have some races at the beginning of September, even if it's a 10K, um, a Labor Day weekend race, um, but find something where you can go and you can practice your um, your nutrition, just practice, especially now that we haven't raced in, in so long, kind of rip off the band-aid, do, do some tune-up race to get your mindset back into racing and at the same time, practice your um, practice your fueling. We wanted to take a quick break from the podcast to thank our friends at RNJ Sports for their support. RNJ is our go-to expert on all things running gear related, particularly running shoes. If you've struggled with finding the right shoes, the staff at RNJ can help solve just about any problem or issue. As a small locally owned business, RNJ is heavily involved in and supportive of the local running community. They get runners. They are runners. 
RNJ has been an enthusiastic supporter of our podcast and our training programs, including our Montgomery County Public Schools program. We are so appreciative of their support. Check them out online at RNJ, that's rnjsports.com. Yeah, so for those who are local, Cherry Blossom is actually a, a, a good practice race. While it's a little close for our comfort, it's one month out from Boston, you can make it work. And that's a really good tune-up race. Um, it's 10 miles. It's a flat course. And that is relevant, not because that necessarily prepares you for the terrain of Boston, but the recovery from Cherry Blossom is, is a little easier than other 10-mile races as a result. So that's a good option as well um, for those who are local. For those who are not local, like Lisa just mentioned, start looking at the calendar and picking out a anything from a 10K to a half that would serve as a good tune-up race to practice that nutrition. Yep. Um, so we'll move on to another tip. And this goes back to what you were talking about before is remember the remembering the importance of running slowly or running easy, easy efforts. The number one uh, factor in your marathon performance is going to be your aerobic base. And the only way to build that aerobic base is with easy aerobic effort. Um, higher mileage really, um, you know, the more miles you can get in, uh, the better, but the only way you can do that safely is by running most of your runs very easy. And particularly in the heat now, like we talked about before, particularly in the heat, um, that pace may be much slower than, than your normal easy, slow, you know, easy pace that you run in, in better weather and cooler weather. So um, don't, uh, don't lose sight. And you know, a lot of us start to think, and we're going to talk about this in a second too, um, but uh, you know, don't get so um, focused on hills and speed work and marathon pace and goal marathon pace and tempo work and all these fancy workouts that we hear about or read about or think about or are, um, you know, people we admire on social media may be doing. Um, don't lose sight of the, um, you know, of the, of the bigger goal, which is building your aerobic engine and staying healthy to get to the start line. So um, do not uh, forget the importance of slow, easy running. For sure. And if you run with other people and you're finding it more and more challenging to get them to slow their roll, just run behind them, say hello, um, greet them before the run, and then just let them know I'm going to run, I'm going to, I'm going to run really easy for me today. And if you want to run ahead, I'll, I'll be behind you. And no, it's not as fun as having a conversation side by side with your running partners. But if it means that you're able to maximize your aerobic gains and uh, avoid injury, it's probably worth it. Meet them afterward for a quick coffee, or maybe they'll actually slow down with you and realize the benefits of running really honest, easy pace for that day. So um, great point, Lisa. And um, another thing, speaking of mileage, like Lisa, you had just mentioned that the best way to build aerobic an aerobic base is to run easy and run more miles. But at the same time, because look, nothing is black and white, you don't need to run every day to run better. For some people, especially run streakers, they're, they've been streaking for years. We have one client who's, um, she's amazing, Bridget. She's been a streaker for a number of years. She's not getting injured, but her run streak is like, literally she'll run a mile one day and she will run it so slowly because she recognizes that if she pushes the pace, that could really set her into um, an injury spiral. So she, knock on wood, knock on wood, is not injured as a result of the run streak because she treats that 
consecutive day sort of almost as a, a jog or a walk. That being said, you do not need to run every day to be able to perform well at a marathon. Everyone is different. Your running partners or your the people in your group, they may be able to run five, six days a week with ease. And then the seventh day they do a trail run. Um, most people can't do that. And it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're not going to run as well on race day. It means you're not going to be injured. So the biggest priority in any training cycle is to avoid injury. Second priority is to make sure that you are maximizing the benefits of your training specifically for you. So if the best way to maximize your training is to do more cross training because you find that when you run five days a week, you're utterly depleted and exhausted and constantly fighting to recover, then you know personally that you will perform better taking care of your body and honoring that recovery. So we're all an experiment of one and we all have to try really hard to listen to our bodies and the rules change as we get older and also depending on what we have going on in our lives. If you're you know, in a stressful situation at home or with respect to your job, then perhaps this is a season where you run a little less, sleep a little more, recover so that you can make sure you get to the start line healthy. So we talked about this before, but it's worth repeating. What happens outside of your running affects your performance just as much as the things you do for your running. Yep. And similarly, um, don't overdo the hills. And that's a big mistake that we um, see with uh, people with runners training for Boston, they think, all right, we've got heartbreak Hill, which is really Hills. Um, and I gotta, I gotta hit the Hills heavy. And we see that in a lot of, um, groups that train for Boston, a lot of training plans that are training for Boston. And we've incorporated some into our training plans for Boston, some particularly downhill running. That's actually, you know, we think a lot about the uphill, but really it's the downhill that'll get you. And anyone who's run Boston before knows, um, that that's what really can actually um, make or break your race. So we have downhill repeats in our, in our, on our training plans, but we don't do them every week and we don't do them, but we don't overdo them. We don't do too many of them. We don't do them too hard. Um, they're followed usually by a rest or recovery day, and it doesn't have to be every week. So be smart about your hill workouts. You don't have to run all your long runs on the hilliest, hardest route in your, in your area. Um, just because it's, it's the same thing with, um, with race pace miles, just because you can run your marathon pace in your, uh, training, let's say you go out and you decide you're going to do a training run. That's 10 miles at marathon pace, just because you can do that. Isn't going to guarantee that on race day, you're going to be able to do that for 26.2 miles. Same thing on Hills, just because you can run Hills hard here doesn't guarantee. And in fact, maybe wearing your body down, um, for race day. So be smart about it. Not just, um, the hill, hill training is not, um, the only uh, important part of, of preparing for Boston and downhill and uphill, but strength training. So that's where you can prepare for your hills is in the strength training. So um, I, I, yeah, more is not better in, in terms of um, in terms of the hills. You want to prepare yourself mentally. So that in, in that sense, yeah, if you can find a, a route that mimics the Boston course and maybe do it once in your training cycle and, and have that to help mentally, but um, doing hill repeats every weekend or doing a really hilly hard route every weekend uh, is not necessarily going to prepare you any better and may just in fact wear you down. Great point. So speaking of preparing you better, um, plan your taper carefully. That's our next tip. So uh, there's a lot of debate about the taper. Some coaches really like a short taper. Some coaches like a long taper. We're coaches in the middle. We like about a three-week taper. Um, you don't want to taper too much where you feel stale, but you also want to make sure that you are drastically decreasing your mileage while still running about the same number of days per week because that keeps your legs fresh, but it also allows you more rest. 
And when limiting that running, don't use the extra time to, um, you know, clean the house, <laughs> engage in other cross training, um, pick up a tennis game, you know, like really actually use that extra time to rest and, and nurture your body, do some mobility work, do some foam rolling and massage and just take care of all those little things. So you get to the start line fresh. So when tapering, everyone always talks about the taper crazies. Actually, if you look at tapering and you reframe it and you think of it as I'm going to be the best taperer, kind of like the best recoverer I can be, and I'm going to focus my efforts in making sure that I taper the best I can to maximize my potential on race day, it's more like you're looking at tapering as your job and not looking at it like I'm running less. It's no, I'm tapering more. I'm doing more things to prepare myself for race day right now. And so you're not thinking of all the things you're not doing and instead thinking of all the things you are doing to prepare for race day. Yeah, we like to have our runners um, shift their focus to mental preparation during the taper. So that's when you start visualization. That's when you start um, you know, really thinking through race day. It's when you start uh, looking at logistics of race day starting your race prep so what that extra time that you have and like you said um we, we do this with our runners but and, and we feel pretty strongly about reducing the mileage but maintaining the intensity because you don't want your leg you don't want to get to the start line and have your legs feel dead so we keep a little sharpening work in nothing that's going to fatigue you but something that keeps your legs awake and sharp for race day but um, mileage down maintain the intensity focus on the mental preparations like you said focus on the recovery part schedule you know once we get a little bit closer schedule your um your your massage and think about, I think that's a really good point too, about um, thinking about the taper because, um, you know, the taper for Boston will be, you know, be end of September to beginning of October. That's the beginning of the school year for a lot of people. Um, it's a kind of, it can be a stressful time. You know, if you're looking at travel plans right now, try not to make your travel, work travel, pleasure travel. Um, try not to make those travel plans in the three weeks before, because that's just going to add to your, um, add to that load on your body. Um, so yeah, really think about when you're looking at, you know, a lot of us are just looking at, okay, the weekend of Boston when I'm traveling to Boston, but take your calendar back three weeks and look in those last three weeks and see what you've got going on in your life and try to, um, try to plan around that. Yeah, for sure. And then this is more of a general lesson that we've learned over the years of training. And that is stay focused on your goals, just because others are doing something differently. Doesn't mean that what you are doing won't work for you. So in a nutshell, avoid the comparison trap. And with social media, it's really easy to kind of fall into the trap. We often see almost daily, for example, on some of the Boston Marathon pages where there's discussions where someone's bringing up a new and novel training approach or has anyone tried run less, run faster? Who's doing Hanson's? And it's like, we understand because there are more many ways to skin a cat, but at the same time, you got to do what works for you. So if you are someone who you want to do three key workouts a week, but you realize that when you do one, you feel much better to, you know, and recovered for your long run, then don't worry if the people around you are doing three key workouts a week and you're just doing one. Or even more, if you're someone where your body does not react well to speed work, but you've built a wonderful aerobic engine um, based on cumulative miles, then Maybe this season isn't the season for you to do speed work. And 
it's, it's very tempting to still do it because everyone else is, but know that you know it's best for your body and, and be confident about that and look back at your training log, see all the work that you've done and recognize that and know that it's okay to not do what everyone else does because everyone is different. As we mentioned a few minutes earlier, we are all an experiment of one and everyone's different. Our primary goal is to get to that start line healthy. Um, so related to that, when setting goals for this Boston and for any fall marathon, set a goal that brings you joy, not pain. So let's say you've had this like overarching goal for many years that you wanna be a sub uh, 330 marathoner or a sub four hour marathoner. And you really, it's really important to you to achieve that time goal. But as you're training, you're feeling like a lot of pressure, you're not enjoying the process. And suddenly this goal, which which is a little arbitrary because it's just, it's a nice round number to say, I went under four, I went under 330, or I went under 320. Take a step back and say, what? why am I putting so much pressure on myself? What is the importance of this goal? Is this goal bringing me joy? If it is, great, keep pursuing the goal. But if the joy is bringing you stress and frustration, shift your goals, shift your focus, not saying that you shouldn't have big goals and try your best, but maybe not put so much emphasis on the number. Maybe say, you know what, my goal for this race is to negative split. I've never negative split in a marathon. It's super fun to negative split. Um, I personally haven't done it a lot, but I certainly remember when I have, and I'm sure you do too, Lisa. It's a lot of fun when you're feeling really good the last 10K of a marathon and you can pass people. That's a fun goal. And how do you achieve the goal of negative splitting? Well, you got to start out a little easier. That's not as scary of a goal as trying to nail down a particular time. And it's still a lofty goal. And guess what? You may at the same time actually get the time you're looking for in, in approaching the race in that manner. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, more specifically to Boston, when we're talking about setting goals for Boston, I mean, look, you qualified. Not only did you qualify, you got in, which unfortunately this year, not a lot of people can say. Um, so really the ultimate goal should be on getting to that start line healthy and enjoying the experience. So that's really, um, and, and we have runners who are training for Boston with all sorts of goals. So we have runners that want to PR at Boston. And then we have runners who just say, I just want to, I want, I'm finally getting there and I want to just experience it. So going back to your point about setting goals that, that make you happy and bring you joy, um, those goals can shift. If you've decided, if you realize right now that the summer is just training in the summer is really hard for you, or maybe life you know, events have come up that have made it hard to get your training in. Maybe you shift your goal and you just realize that, look, I'm fortunate to be in Boston. We, I think, are all going to have a new appreciation for being at the start line in Boston this year and in April of next year and every subsequent um, race that we're at, and particularly Boston. I think we're going to have a, a new appreciation. So um, there's nothing quite like it and keep that ultimate focus on getting to the start line healthy. Well said, Lisa. Wholeheartedly agree. I have a big smile on my face as you're even talking about it. I'm definitely getting excited to be back at that start line. I think our uh, interview last week with Dave was really inspiring and got, got me really pumped. I don't know about you, but I felt like it's actually happening after we talked to him. Yeah, we're back, which is really exciting. It's been a really long time. And, um, you know, it's a highlight of our year together to go to Boston. And I've really missed that. So um, I'm really excited. I know you just booked your flight today and I'm getting ready to book my flight. So it, it's it's happening. And um, we're excited to see all of our runners that we have a good, uh, I think we've got over 20 runners that are 
we're either individual clients or in our group, um, well over 20 runners. So we've got a, a large group of runners and alumni that will be there and friends. Um, and we're just, I, I, I it's going to be a big celebration. And, um, uh, you know, again, in April, which was, is not too much farther after October, um, we'll be back again in April, back to what we're used to and the size we're used to. And we hope that the runners who didn't get in uh, this time around, because the cutoff was so big that they'll be able to be there in April. Amen. Here's hoping it all works out and that that cutoff is not as ridiculous. So we hope that this was helpful for everyone listening. Um, learn from, from our lessons and mistakes and, and know that if you follow at least half of these, you'll have a pretty successful training cycle and, and execution of, of the race, whether it's Boston or another goal race. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week. I will see you in a little bit, Julie, on our call with Nancy Clark. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.